We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns Podcast. I'm really excited to have this conversation. My name is Mike V. Hill. Sam Cooper, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well, Mike. Crazy couple of days. Oh my God, insane. An insane day. <laughs> Specifically, the June 30th, the first time free agency yeah. has been on June 30th, at least from my knowledge, it's possible in the, in the long, past, long past days it was on June 30th, but this was the first time for me. Interesting to move it back to that time, June 30th, 6 p.m. Eastern time, and we got to see it all in real time. Just in absolute insanity for free agency. Tweet after tweet after tweet. I don't know if you had all the notifications on. I had my notifications on for Woj, Sam, Shams, and Mark Stein, and it got pretty insane there for a while. Yeah, it got insane. I was reacting in real time, and I was getting about 20 to 25 minutes into free agency. I was super nervous <laughs> that the Suns weren't yeah. doing anything. Like, I made a tweet... At the time, it was half an hour in. There were so there was like six guys that we talked about on our last episode about free agency, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And within the opening half hour of free agency, Al Farouk Aminu, who you really liked, was gone. Jeremy Lamb and yep. Thad Young, who I really liked, uh, both of them were gone. 
and Malcolm Brogdon was gone. And that left us basically, you know, like an okay guy like Patrick Beverly or Ricky Rubio or D'Angelo Russell. So I was like, oh, God, we better fucking get Ricky Rubio or D'Angelo Russell. Otherwise, we're (laughs) screwed. Because the other thing that was frustrating uh, that sort of defined free agency so far is there have been these massive contracts handed out to a select few players. Um, But then all of those guys that were signed, like Lamb, 10 million a year. Alfred Camino, 10 million a year. I said he was going to go for 10 or 12. He went for 10. Thad Young, I said last week that he was worth 14. He went for 14. Brogdon, I think we both agreed, was going to start at about 20, and he went for just over 20. So, like, all of these, first of all, you know, not to give us too much credit, but pretty good guesswork there. But also, you know, it was just reasonable deals uh, that made me really nervous about what we were going to ultimately end up doing. And what we did end up doing, I'm very excited about, uh, but we could maybe debate whether or not the Suns forfeited too much money. Yeah, I think that's really the only part of the conversation that you could kind of be frustrated about. To me, I, I think there's an element of uh, we didn't get D'Lo. Like, like the, the people that are the angriest about Ricky Rubio, and for those of you who don't know, first of all, how do you not know by now? But <laughs> the Suns signed Ricky Rubio uh, to a contract, basically $17 million a year. Uh, for three years, an interesting contract, relatively short deal for Ricky Rubio, who's 28 years old, turning 29 years old in October, Um, has been playing professionally since he was 16 years old. That's not a joke. He actually has been playing professionally since he was 16 years old. An excellent passer, a playmaker, a point guard, relatively tall, a good defender. We've talked about him on YouTube. We've talked about him on this podcast. We're fans of him. Um, Not an ideal fit, but there wasn't really an ideal fit because of his lack of shooting. But the people that were the angriest are the people who I think wanted D'Angelo Russell and that was the main thing and anything else would have been uh, a complete letdown. And if you think about it this way, if D'Angelo Russell had a choice between the Phoenix Suns, who won 19 games last year, and the Golden State Warriors, (laughs) it's hard to get mad that we lost out on that one. The Suns have not signed a lot of free agents in the past. It's been a difficult thing. And to get even a free agent at Ricky Rubio's level to join a 19-win team is a win, in my mind. And to pay him $17 million a year, if that's what it took, I don't mind this. I really don't. We talked about how much it matters to have DeAndre Ayton on his rookie deal and how that gives you the flexibility and the freedom to spend money elsewhere. And I think this is what they did. I think they focused on getting Ricky Rubio. Free agency, obviously, is still not over, and we're going to talk about Ubre soon. But I think Ricky Rubio, I'm pretty happy about it, and I'm not really mad about the amount of money they spent. What do you think, Sam? It's interesting, Mike, because my initial impression was that I was a little mad. Not mad, actually. I was happy as soon as we got Rubio. Um, but I was I was questioning it a little bit. $17 million a year seemed pretty steep. And then I'm kind of glad if you're someone who buys into advanced metrics and specifically how players affect things like net rating, uh, you know, how well their team does, but also how well other players do when that player is on or off the court. um, There's a couple of interesting metrics to look at. One of those stats is um, player impact plus minus, which is from the B-Ball Index, uh, which is a great site that offers some advanced statistics like this. And what they do is they use that plus minus advanced statistic and some uh, statistical regression to estimate what players are worth and what each free agent who signs this summer, what their chance is of returning uh, a positive return on investment over their contract length. So for instance, uh, Ricky Rubio is given a 60.9% chance of returning a positive return on investment at 17 million a year. In other words, uh, B-Ball Index actually thinks that Ricky Rubio was probably a little bit underpaid 
uh, by the Phoenix Suns that he's going to be a, a more impactful player than his contract suggests, which is something that once I looked at the advanced numbers really took me by surprise. The other people that uh, put out some advanced numbers today are 538 with their Carmelo projections. They project Ricky Rubio as because they also use the, you know these advanced stats and then turn it into basically a, a dollar sign and, and give you a dollar amount that that player is worth. They project Rubio over the next three years being worth $57 million in terms of his impact on the floor from an advanced numbers uh, standpoint, uh, which is also more than $51 million. So I was just, you know, a little bit surprised by that. But I think it's because Rubio is the type of guy where, you know, the numbers don't pop off the page uh, when you look at the stat sheet, but he's consistently had good net ratings throughout every team he's been on. Uh, the defense speaks for itself, although he has lost a little bit of that quickness, especially that lateral quickness uh, as age starts to get to him. Um, but overall, just a guy with good uh, advanced metrics across the board for most of his career, and that really pays off and stuff like this. I think the $17 million is a very specific number that, one, it was enough to get him, right? That's an important part. Like I talked about, uh, to get a guy to join a 19-win team takes some effort here, and I think the money matters a lot. But also what it does is it allows the team to potentially re-sign Kelly Oubre, uh, sign Frank Kaminsky, which we're going to talk about later, and not have to wave and stretch Tyler Johnson. And it seems like based on the moves that they made, this was something that they were planning on doing. Because if they could potentially, if they could trade Josh Jackson and if they could trade Elliot Kobo or DeAnthony Melton or even both of them, uh, that creates enough space to to keep Kelly Oubre to sign Ricky Rubio to get Frank Kaminsky and to not have to wave and stretch Tyler Johnson which in my opinion I never liked the idea of waving and stretching Tyler Johnson I didn't want to be three years from now still having to talk about Tyler Johnson on this podcast <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't make sense and if you like we talked about if you tack on uh, waving and stretching Tyler Johnson basically averages out to a little over five million dollars a year for this year and the next two years and if you tack on five million dollars extra to the next to, to essentially bring up what Ricky Rubio is making to $22 million a year. That's when it starts to be like, okay, this was not worthwhile to do this. Mm -hmm. So the idea that they made these moves specifically, I think with that in mind, um, that's why Trevor Buckstein has a job, right? This is the type of thing that he thinks about constantly. And I think they made some smart moves here to, to get a guy like uh, Ricky Rubio into that starting lineup and to move Tyler Johnson into that combo guard role coming off the bench, which is where he excels, where he becomes to me, a plus player on the starting lineup. He's, he's a below average starting guard, essentially on the bench. Tyler Johnson is a good guard. That's a good player coming off the bench. It's, it's where you're getting value in that position and to be able to do that, to keep him on the team and basically to surround these guys that we actually like, which are the three players, essentially Deandre Ayton, Devin Booker and Mikhail Bridges. That's what we're doing right now to surround those three guys with a bunch of hardworking NBA players who have won in the past and have seen what it's like to play in the playoffs for a lot of these guys, to surround those three guys with players like that makes a lot of sense. And I'm glad that we were able to keep Tyler Johnson uh, when we did that. You know, this isn't something that I do often um, over the past few months on this podcast, but it really makes you want to give credit to James Jones for the Ryan Anderson trade. Because, right. you know, everyone knows Tyler Johnson is overpaid. Obviously, he's very overpaid. Obviously, he's not a good starting caliber guard. Uh, but Ryan Anderson was not playable. And Tyler Johnson is very playable. As you mentioned, he'll be a good combo guard off the bench. Uh, the thing that I was emphasizing the most last week again on our mega free agent pod was creativity. And this gives the Suns a backcourt with three uh, creative guards between Rubio, 
Booker and Tyler Johnson. Obviously, you're not going to play all three at once like they did several years ago. But just <laughs> having, you know, basically two guards who are capable of being uh, creative on the floor at any given time, that's huge for Phoenix. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think defensively, it's interesting, too. We, we talked about the moves that were made in the past because it's going to be difficult to have a good defense with this team. You can't really predict that they're going to be even I would say below <laughs> average is going to be what we they're, can expect. They're going to be terrible. And, and yes, and exactly. I think there's the, the highest possibility is this is a really bad defense. But I think that it's nice to have uh, the actual potential for good defense in Ricky Rubio here. Now, Ricky Rubio, as we talked about, as you talked about, Sam, in our YouTube video about Ricky Rubio, not a perfect defender, but a really good defender at his position. There are guys that will take advantage of him. The Russell Westbrooks, basically the guys that are like uber athletic, uh, are not going to be easy for Ricky Rubio to keep up with, but he can get his hands in the passing lane. He has the ability of keeping up with guys. He's relatively big. I believe he's listed at 6'4". And basically, he's been in the NBA long enough. I think this is something that's undervalued with NBA players. What they are able to do when they understand the people that they're playing against. Scouting is one of the most important things for uh, defenses in the NBA. And Ricky Rubio has played against a lot of these guys in the NBA 10, 15, 20, 30 times, essentially. So he knows how they play and he knows what they're like. That's one of the hardest things for young guys to do. They come into the NBA, they think they know what it's like by watching teams, and they don't know until they're on the court against Russell Westbrook, against uh, Steph Curry, against James Harden, against all these guys. You have to see in person up close what they do and what their go-to moves are to really defend them well. And he's been around a long time. And you know, James Jones talked about the type of guys he wants on this team. He's he's talked a lot about it. We talked about it here on the podcast. Guys that make quick decisions, guys that can score, um, guys that don't take a long time to really decide what they're doing. But the other thing he talked about is adding players to this team that are in their prime, guys in their late 20s and early 30s. And he's done that so far. We've talked about Aaron Baines. Now we have Ricky Rubio. Uh, Frank Kaminsky is an outlier on this, a young guy, but he's in a backup role, basically a drug and bender replacement. But I think uh, you know Rubio is exactly that fit. It's just a shame that he's not really going to be a shooter at that position. And we'll see how much that affects his team going forward. Yeah, he's not going to be a shooter at that position. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I kind of think that hinges less on Rubio because Rubio, as you've been talking about, uh, has played professional basketball since he was 16. We kind of know what he is. I'm prepared to say that Rubio's 35% three-point shooting season two years ago uh, was the fluke of his career, and we should take every other season he's ever played of professional basketball to say that he is not going to be a catch-and-shoot guy. Where we have hope is that if you have a starting five that has Ubre at the three and Aiton at the five, those are the two guys you look to uh, as being young, hoping that they can get just a little bit of improvement uh, out of them from that range because then as we talked about again last week uh, if Aiton shoots 35% from three somehow and I don't want him taken away from the basket all too much but if he shoots 35% from three on low volume if Ubre shoots 35% from three and given the other acquisitions the Suns have made on draft night and now also in Frank Kaminsky Ricky Rubio can shoot zero percent he can be Ben Simmons for all I care the Suns would have respectable shooters at every position and at that point Rubio's playmaking and his defense uh, would really shine through for this team. Yeah, yeah, I think there's been a lot of takes um, on this move. And a lot of people talk about, well, what happens in the playoffs? <laughs> Ricky Rubio disappears in the playoffs. And, and that just makes me laugh because the idea that uh, the Suns should be overly worried about playoffs is funny to me. It's not to say that they shouldn't <laughs> focus on players that would be good in the playoffs. Of course, you want players that would be good in the playoffs. But that's not 
a huge concern for the Phoenix Suns. Let's say that because they're probably not. Well, they're not going to make it there. Let's say that it'd be it'd be an amazing season if something insane would have to happen. Um, you know, Devin Booker would have to become Michael Jordan essentially to, to get this team to the playoffs next year. And and you know, a, a, a transformation in DeAndre Ayton's defense is what it would take essentially, and that's just not going to happen. But I do I do think we didn't talk about this uh, yet, Sam. Uh, we haven't talked about the we talked a little bit about the coaching staff, but we haven't talked about one person that was left off, and that's David Nurse. David Nurse was Nick Nurse's nephew, is Nick Nurse's nephew. And David Nurse is famous for being a shot coach. He's a player who uh, focuses on shooting. And he was linked to the Phoenix Suns early, and it ended up being the person that was linked to the Suns early that was left out. He was the one person that was not hired out of all those rumors that we got early. And it's really a disappointment that this happened because if you look at the players that were likely going into the season next year, uh, the two players that need this are Ricky Rubio and Kelly Oubre. To have a really good shooting coach is really important for this team because those guys, we don't need them to be Clay Thompson. Yeah, of course it would be nice if they were. But what we need them to do is improve from where they're at right now. That's vital for Kelly Oubre, and I know he's going to be focusing on it. But it's also important for the ceiling of this team for Ricky Rubio to at least be respectable at that position. We don't want Devin Booker facing guys reaching in on him every single time he drives. Ideally, they have to cover Ricky Rubio on the catch because we still want Devin Booker to handle the ball a lot. So I think it's a really it's really a disappointment that David Nurse didn't end up on this coaching staff and I'm I'd like to know which one of these guys is going to be in charge of like a shooting coach for the team going forward. So hopefully if anyone out there knows, let us know or hopefully we can find this information going forward. Yeah, it's a good point you bring up. I honestly hadn't given any thought to David Nurse since we talked about him several weeks ago. Uh and I don't know who the current shooting coach is. I can't imagine it makes all that much of a difference uh if we're being honest one interesting thing you said there so you say you still want the hands uh you still want the ball in the hands of devin booker a lot you also said last week you don't want ricky rubio playing like he was in utah yeah so sort of which is it i mean you know <laughs> are, are no, we, you're is right. the plan is the plan to give ricky rubio the ball in his hands uh have a high usage rate or at least a higher usage rate kind of like he was in minnesota and right. turn Devin Booker, you're not turning Devin Booker into Clay Thompson exactly because that would be a use uh, or a misuse of his uh, best assets uh, in his uh, increased efficiency out of the pick and roll. But, you know, just how much are you going to give Ricky Rubio the keys to this offense is what I'm asking you. Right. You're, you're totally right. So I think that's a very good conversation to have actually right here because this is something that Monty Williams actually talked about in his introductory press conference it's finding a balance between that style, Spurs-style offense. I hate that we have to mention that every time, but that's the easiest way to talk about it. That Spurs-style offense and not limiting the creativity of Devin Booker. Now, I don't know which one I want. Honestly, I think that uh, the ideal situation is the ball in Devin Booker's hands as much as possible, but we have to see what this team looks like with the ball in Ricky Rubio's hands to see if it makes a lot of sense with him just orchestrating the offense on a consistent basis. I think as the shot clock winds down, that ball goes to Devin Booker's hands because he can score. And I think towards the ends of, end of games, that's when you want the ball in Devin Booker's hands. And in those scenarios, Ricky Rubio has to be guarded or you have to take him off the floor. That's basically how it's going to work. You have to find a lineup where everyone can shoot. And I think you have some options there yeah. uh, now, especially if Mikhail Bridges kind of works on his shot, which I imagine all the, all the news about Mikhail Bridges is that all he's been doing is working this summer. So I imagine that that three-point shot is a big part of it. And I think 
I don't. I, I'll be honest. I don't know. I, I'm very interested in seeing what this team's going to look like. But I think they're going to focus more on Ricky Rubio playing like he did in Utah. And I don't. I can't imagine they're going to be uh, running pick and roll after pick and roll after pick and roll with him. But in certain lineups, I think that starts to make sense a little bit more. And I think a big challenge for Monty Williams is finding the right balance between those two guys handling the ball. And I think that's a nice challenge to have. It's just nice that we have an option of saying which one of these two guys that are good at handling the ball, good at distributing, and good at getting to the rim should be handling the ball. That's a nice actual thing to be talking about instead of saying it does this team just make sense if Devin Booker's playing like James Harden essentially which is what he had to do for the last month of the season so you know what do you think which what what do you think is the best solution for Ricky Rubio there I honestly don't know I've been thinking about it and I've been going back and forth I think what you said is interesting Devin Booker has to have the ball in his hands uh late in games you can't stifle that creativity late in games when it matters uh credit to Rubio who's improved his offensive game he's improved his finishing numbers and he played better than expected uh, in the playoffs in the last two seasons for Utah when he finally made the playoffs since he never did with Minnesota. Uh, But that being said, you know, he's not the guy you want with the ball in his hands at the end of the fourth quarter. So I think what you said is actually brings up a pretty good point. It's entirely possible, and I'm sure Rubio wouldn't like this, but it's entirely possible that the optimal lineup to close games out with for the Suns as the season goes along, you shift Booker back over to point guard and you play the Harden role. As much as we were kind of trashing that, you know, it's possible that surrounding him with Mikhail at the two and Ubre at the three, because then you have another sort of initiator in Kelly um, and then, you know, Sarich and Ayton. It's possible that that would be more effective. Um, but I guess, you know, it's something that they're just going to have to play around with. I don't think we're going to get any clear answers to this question uh, until maybe pretty late into the season. I think we're going to be talking about it a lot. But I think that makes the most sense though you can start the game off using Devin Booker as an off-ball threat and and really trying to stretch the defense out as much as possible with Ricky Rubio uh you know running the the show there essentially and then you can move to that closing lineup or or even if you keep Ricky Rubio on the floor because if Devin Booker gets trapped we've seen what happens we talked about it all year Devin Booker got trapped on this team and he had no one to bail him out in those trapping situations. There is a scenario where Kelly Oubre becomes that player and he can catch the ball and he could move in space well enough to either create for himself, which is what he focuses on, or if he can develop, create for other players. He has not shown the ability to do that. The The problem is, is if they trap him and Ricky Rubio is the one that catches it at the three-point line, is he going to be like Ben Simmons and just avoid that shot entirely? No. And no. Yeah, I don't think he will. I think he'll shoot it. But is him shooting it an, an ideal situation for this team? Not necessarily. But this is, this is the type of thing where we're talking about on the margins of a good team now. I think that we're talking about the types of conversations that Utah was having, whereas last season we were talking about what happens when Isaiah Kanan catches it. Or, yeah. you know, there were situations that were not nearly as good you know josh jackson catching it it's it's just a completely different uh for this team let's be clear rubio is the worst shooting point guard we could have signed and he still shot 33 percent on catch and shoot threes which is still you know exactly one point per possession for half court offense that's pretty good if booker gets trapped if he's a good enough passer to find rubio uh and you know generate a shot that gets you one point per possession that's good you know, it's or it's not good, but it's fine. You can live with it. This isn't Tyler Ulis, who shot 25% from three. It's not as much as I love him and as sad as I am that uh, he was waived today by the Chicago Bulls. It's not Shaq Harrison, who is a 25% three-point shooter. This is kind of a legit shooter. You know, I made the joke earlier about Ben Simmons, but he's not Ben Simmons. 
Uh, and, and that sort of stuff on the margins, it does make a difference. Yeah, it, it makes a huge difference. And, and this is, I think, the biggest thing going forward for this team is how much more watchable that they are. <laughs> They're just going to, it's just going to be a much more watchable team going forward. And I think, so the conversation we should shift to next, I think, unless you have anything more to say about Rubio, we're going to talk about him for months and months and months. So <laughs> we probably can hold off on that for now. But we should talk about what's going to happen now because Kelly Oubre still has not signed. And to me, this is all pointing to him definitely, absolutely coming back to the Phoenix Suns because there's two reasons. The market has relatively dried up for him or anyone else, basically. And two, the Suns have no more options at this point. So both the player and the team are basically in spots where they both need each other to come to an agreement uh, to, to move forward here. And I think the play for Kelly Oubre, the play for Bill Duffy, Kelly Oubre's agent, is basically to try and find the most money possible. And this makes sense for the player. And that's the only option they have. That's the only cards they have to play at this point. So what they're doing right now is they're waiting for Kawhi Leonard to sign. Because Kawhi Leonard is the last domino that needs to fall. Because the only teams left with cap space that are significant in this are the Clippers, who want Kawhi Leonard, the Lakers, who want Kawhi Leonard, and then Dallas. Now, Dallas is a potential here. I just don't think he's a fit on this team, so he's that's the least likely threat here. So the two threats to Kelly Oubre are, to the Suns, I should say, are the Clippers and the Lakers, and whichever one of them strikes out on uh, Kawhi Leonard, or it could be both of them, which is the worst possible scenario, to be honest, if you want to keep Kelly Oubre, uh, if both of them strike out. But whichever one does is is the one that could potentially have some cap space to make a run at Kelly Oubre. And I don't think that makes sense for the Lakers, so I think the Lakers are out of this. So really, the Clippers are likely the most likely threat uh, to sign Kelly Oubre. And even them, I don't think it's very possible. So I think the most likely scenario is he ends up on the Suns. Could be for more money than we want if the Clippers are willing to tie up their cap space for a while. But otherwise, I think this is going to be a relatively fair deal, and that's where signs are pointing. Do you agree with that, Sam? Yeah, I agree. To just throw out the exact number, the um, numbers, sorry. Clippers have 41 million. Lakers have 32 million. Dallas has 22. Um, and, and you may be wondering, you know, how are the rest of these free agents? Because there are still a lot of free agents uh, available on the market. How are they going to sign? That's because you don't need cap space, pure cap space to sign players. All uh, Many of the teams that are over the cap still have their mid-level exceptions available. And that's where these lower tier players like, um, you know, say, Guys who are going to sign for seven, eight, or nine million, uh, those mid-level exceptions are going to come into play. But it brings up, you know, an interesting scenario, Mike. I mean, if you had a choice where situation one is, let me think this through. Situation one is Kelly Oubre resigns for Phoenix, uh, with Phoenix for twelve or thirteen million dollars a year, but Kawhi Leonard goes to the Lakers. <laughs> or situation two, Kawhi Leonard resigns in Toronto. So he doesn't go to the Lakers, and the Pacific Division is a little bit easier, but the Clippers throw Oubre a $20 million offer sheet. What's what's the preferable scenario there? Because both of these are very realistic things that could now happen. Um, first of all, how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a really difficult thing to think. I mean, the Laker hater in me, of course, does not want him there in Los Angeles. But the other part is... The idea of this next season is so fun to me when you think about the fact that if Kawhi Leonard ends up back in Toronto, who wins the title? I mean, like, really, 
you don't know. The the parity in the right. league is the closest ever it's ever been. There's four, five, six teams potentially that could win the title at that point. That's when you there's a scenario where Utah wins the title at that point. You know, there's like if the, if everything falls in the right place, Denver could win a title. And you know, of course there's the Lakers, of course there's the Warriors, then there's Toronto, there's Philadelphia, Philadelphia. Maybe the is Knicks right now. Maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe the Knicks. Yeah, now that they signed uh mm, Julius Randle, Bobby Portis, Wayne Ellington, Bobby Portis, Wayne Ellington, yeah, they'll be okay. Uh, yeah, I mean the okay is is the best possible <laughs> situation for them, but okay is what got the Nets Kyrie Irving and uh, Kevin Durant. So being okay is not as bad as it used to be if you can do it right. Um, but you know that's a really good question. I think that I would I think I would prefer just paying Kawhi Leonard. I'm sorry, paying Kelly Oubre more and keeping. Kawhi Leonard in the East. I think that's you'd, the best possible situation. I think I would. You'd be comfortable locking in. So, so this sort of brings us back to the beginning of this discussion. You're saying the Suns are going to bring Kelly back, and I agree. I think there's a 99.9% chance that Ubre's coming back to the Suns, but I don't necessarily think that's for a, a good price for the Suns. I think it's likely at this point that the market has dried up enough that they get a good team-friendly deal. But you're saying even if Kelly Ubre somehow gets a $20 million offer sheet, the Suns are still going to match? Is that really a good thing? Well, here's what I'll say. You're making me do this. <laughs> so I don't want to choose this. Uh, but, you know, it just the, the NBA, I'm not a GM. The NBA fan in me is is the one that cannot accept a reality where the Lakers end up with Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James, and Anthony Davis. I don't want to accept that. And if that means right. tying up the cap space a little worse for the team in the future, then that's what it is. And the one thing I will say is we still have that Tyler Johnson contract dropping off the books next year, and he could still come back at a team more team-friendly deal, but we still have cap space next year that could be parlayed into something good next year, even with Kelly Oubre being overpaid. And this contract would expire about the time that DeAndre Ayton would be due for an extension. So it still all kind of works out. Um, that seven million, that extra seven million in your scenario is pretty brutal, and I don't think it'll happen though. That, that's the main thing I think is I I think with the amount of players that are being snatched up in free agency right now, I don't think that the Clippers would be willing to tie up their cap space for up to three days, which is the time it takes for the Suns to make a decision. For those who don't remember how restricted free agency works, an offer sheet is tendered to the player. The player signs the offer sheet. The team that owns the player's rights in restricted free agency has up to three days to make a decision. And basically every single time the team takes that full amount of time to tie up the cap space because while the team is making that decision, the team that signed or offered the offer sheet cannot use that cap space on anything else. And I think this is the main reason that that's a problem for uh, for Kelly Oubre and why it's difficult for him to get a massive deal at this point. So many players were signed within the first few hours of free agency. It did not take time. Tampering is happening more than ever, as we know. So many players were snatched up that it's going to be difficult for basically anyone to put a team together if they're tying up their cap space for three days. So I just can't imagine that happening at this point. And I actually, I think that this is a problem with restricted free agency in general. I think that Kelly Oubre on an unrestricted market makes a massive amount of money in in this free agency. But because tampering is essentially allowed now, there's not as much time between... You saw it. 3 p.m. hit in Phoenix, 6 p.m. hit in New York, 
And there, you could see Shams and Woj had that that shotgun loaded, and they just blasted <laughs> off a bunch of tweets saying all these players had already agreed to deals, including players that agreed to deals on new teams. That's technically not something that you're supposed to be able to do. You can't have those conversations until free agency starts, and it clearly is starting before that. So if we're just allowing tampering to happen, then so many players sign immediately, and that makes the restricted market really bad for players. It benefits teams that own players on restricted deals, and you can see at this, just look at all the restricted players who are signed currently. Either they haven't been offered every, anything at all, like Kelly Oubre, or they agreed to sign with their incumbent team for a small amount of money. And I think what's going to happen is players are going to turn against this idea of restricted free agency, and they're going to use situations like Kelly Oubre's as an example. And I think this is going to be something that players are going to fight against in the upcoming CBA. And I think it's going to be interesting to see the battle between the owners of teams because restricted free agency, remember, is essentially to protect teams and to allow them an opportunity to keep stars in a small market for longer. And I think players are going to look at that as you're restricting my ability to make the most money possible, essentially because tampering is now legal. And I think restricted free agency is not going to exist in the future if the players have any say in it. Well, yeah, maybe if the players have any say in it, but the owners will never go for it. Look, I think it's a two-way street where, you know, you can point to Kelly Oubre as potentially getting shafted, but you can look at other players who are benefiting. Here, Which lends me to my next question, actually. I was going to ask you another question. Another hypothetical scenario, if you will. First, I made you the Suns GM. Now I'm going to make <laughs> you Kelly Oubre. If you're okay. Kelly Oubre, Mike V. Hill, you are now Kelly Oubre. Uh, are you firing your agent after this whoa, summer? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let me put a headband on. <laughs> All right, I'm ready. You got um, your converse? No. Because, but, but, <laughs> oh, yeah. because here's here's what I'm thinking. If you were Dwayne Dedman, you got $14 million a year, 10 minutes into free agency. You don't deserve that. You know, there were tons of players who signed for those instant contracts and were smart enough to, to snatch the money before it dried up. If you're Oubre... You know, and it kind of reminds me of guys like, uh, you know, Alex Len last year. I mean, Alex Len obviously was not a good player, but he was forced right. to take four million or, you know, a player like Brooke right. Lopez, who was forced to take a one year four million deal. And look at how that turned out. But uh, if right. you're Ubre, I have to think you're a little bit frustrated right now with how these negotiations yeah. are going, unless you're pretty confident that one of these teams uh, in L.A. is going to offer you the back. Yeah. So, right. I actually, that's a very good point. And actually, the more you talked about it, the more I was turning against Bill Duffy. Because for those who don't know the story, the Suns met with Kelly Oubre the night of free agency. But So basically, the 30th at like 6 p.m. Was, was the rumors that that's when they initially met with Kelly Oubre. And if Kelly Oubre wanted to secure a deal, an offer sheet with another team, it would have had to be done before free agency began. Based on the way the rest of the free agency played out and how quickly deals were made, basically $3 billion in the first few hours of free agency, he would have had to secure an offer sheet well before that. And the fact that he didn't, and the fact that they waited, and actually a nice play by James Jones and Trevor Buckstein, if this is what they were doing, uh, by making him meet with them later on in free agency when all the money has already dried up, that's a bad move by an agent in Bill Duffy, who is an agent of a lot of good players in the NBA. And I think that it's not out of the question that he's, he fires his agent. And I just hope it's not Rich Paul that comes in and takes <laughs> his place because we'll, we'll be talking extension a year into his deal. Jesus. Yeah. Would you fire your agent? Yeah, I think so. Well, I mean, I can't say that definitively. Uh, you know, it's possible he signs a $20 million offer sheet with the Clippers uh, as we record this. You know, we tend to record things and then the opposite happens or, or big news breaks <laughs> the next day. 
Uh, so yeah, you're welcome. By the way, yeah, if, you're if we release this podcast <laughs> and then he signs a deal, you're welcome because it happened because of us. It happens all the time. Yeah, that's right. All all the big waves are created by us, even if you don't know it. Uh, even if <laughs> even for those of you who aren't listeners. Um, but yeah, I think likely uh, I'd be kind of frustrated. You know, I'm just looking through these. I mean, Chris Middleton got five years, 180 million. Now, granted God, that that is insane. Jamal Murray got five years, 170 million. Harrison Barnes got over 20 million a year. If I'm Uber yeah. and I'm walking away with 12 million from the Suns, yeah. you know, maybe I am yeah. happy in Phoenix, but that's a pretty raw deal for the guy. You know, as a Suns fan, you yeah. can't be mad, but you can't say that Ubre got Kelly- his, his big payday. No, no, you're right. Kelly Ubre is an interesting player where his marketability like exceeds his play on the court. <laughs> And I don't mean that as, as as an insult to him, but like guys like Nick Young, for example, Nick Young had all these endorsement deals that did not line up with how good of a player he was because I guess it's part of it is that you're good looking and you're charming, right? And Kelly Oubre is like a good looking, charming guy. So he can make a lot of money off the court that a player at his level likely wouldn't in a normal situation just because he's a marketable face. So it's not like I feel bad for Kelly Oubre. Let's say that uh, he's going to make a lot of money no matter what happens to him. But I do think, I, you know, part of me actually does feel a little bad for him because I think in, in a sense that this could lead down a road where he gets paid less than he's worth. And, and you know, now that we said that, it probably won't. And like you said, he's going to get a $20 million offer sheet now that we're making predictions. But <laughs> we'll see what happens. We'll, we, I mean, I really don't know. We'll see what happens. I, but those are our thoughts on it, right? Yeah, that, that pretty much covers it. Well, okay. Let's take a quick break. Oh, never mind. Actually, go ahead. Nah, never mind. Well... <laughs> I don't know. I just never know when to end these conversations. If the Suns lost Kelly Oubre, how much better would they be next season? Like, just theoretically. I, I feel like I have to ask. Yeah. Are they even so better? So that's bad. <laughs> that's really bad. That's really bad. So that's interesting. The defense gets better in the starting lineup, I think. Not that's to say that Kelly Oubre is a bad defender. It's just Mikhail Bridges is, is the best defender on our team at this point. So, uh, yeah, that would be a very... See, this is why I think it's such a bad scenario for the Suns to lose him as well. So there's leverage on both. I mean, truthfully, there is leverage on both sides. There is. But I think that's, it's just, I think the the hard part for Kelly Oubre is just the market. It's just the market. He has to rely on one of those LA teams. And I just, you know, that sign, giving up your, your cap space for three days while other teams have cap space, like Dallas, potentially um, the Lakers, of course, like we talked about, Atlanta has a little bit left. I mean, it's just... It's a dangerous game to play at this point, especially for the Clippers who, if they strike out on Kawhi Leonard, what are they going to sell free agents on besides money? Like they're not going to say we're going to win a championship because they're not going to. They have to use that money wisely. Yeah. So not good. Not good. I mean, yeah, we'd be bad. I think it would be hard to find the evidence to even suggest that we would be better outside of the idea of Booker and Aiton and Bridges getting better. Like the young guys would get better, hopefully. Although we know that stuff doesn't always work linearly from year to year. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I, that's that's a bad situation. If someone offers him a crazy contract, the Suns are accepting. I want to talk about the job that uh, James Jones has done so far um, in this offseason. And actually, let's get to that. Let's take a quick break first, and then <laughs> let's get to that. And we're going to talk about, we're actually going to talk to Richie Randall 
from the Buzzbeat podcast, a podcast that covers, if you're wondering why we haven't talked about Frank Kaminsky yet, it's because we talked directly with uh, someone who covers the Charlotte Hornets about Frank Kaminsky and what he's going to be like for the Phoenix Suns later in this podcast. And we have a couple more things, so let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Let's talk about sleep. Listen to these studies from Harvard and Johns Hopkins. Chronic sleep deprivation has been shown to lead to depression, diabetes, obesity, and cardiovascular disease. We need eight hours of sleep. We always need eight hours of sleep. You guys know how it is. If you have the notifications on for Woj and Shams, you might not get it, and the next day you wake up tired. One of sleep's biggest problems is temperature, especially here in Arizona. Tough to get good sleep if you're too hot or too cold. I want to tell you about The Pod by 8sleep. The Pod by 8sleep is a high-tech bed designed specifically to help you achieve optimal sleep fitness. It was developed by leading sleep researchers after tracking 43 million hours of sleep. It combines dynamic temperature regulation and sleep tracking to enhance your rest and recovery. It learns your sleep habits and adjusts the temperature automatically. That means if you like the bed cool, your partner likes the bed warm, now you can have both at the same time in a crazy comfortable bed. Sleep longer and deeper so you wake up refreshed and ready to take on the world. To celebrate Independence Day, get a free gravity cooling blanket plus free shipping with your pod purchase, a $300 value, free. Offer ends Monday, July 8th. Visit 8sleep.com slash blue wire that's eight sleep.com spelled out slash blue wire e-i-g-h-t sleep.com slash blue wire all right sam let's talk about james jones and what's transpired so far i actually want to go back through basically everything he's done now we're not going to do it the way we did our mcdonough episode maybe we'll do something Jesus. like that later in the off season 26 hour marathon summer. <laughs> once we once we uh, run out of things to talk about, we'll, we'll grade every single one. But I just want to talk about the additions and subtractions made while James Jones has been the general manager. And we'll talk about, just as a whole, how we feel about him so far. Um, so he's added Kelly Oubre Jr., Ricky Rubio, Tyler Johnson, Dario Saric, Aaron Baines, Frank Kaminsky, and then Cam and Ty Jerome. <laughs> um, Cam Johnson, Ty Jerome. Uh, those are unknowns so far. Uh, and then the subtractions are Ryan Anderson, Trevor Reza, Dragon Bender, Isaiah Kanan, Tyson Chandler, Jamal Crawford, maybe, uh, Josh Jackson, likely, Troy Daniels, Rashawn Holmes, and TJ Warren. Those last three are the only ones that were actual NBA players. If you look at the subtractions, Ryan Anderson would not be in the NBA if it weren't for his contract. Uh, Trevor Reza did just sign a deal, so he's, a, he's an NBA player. Dragon Bender, unknown. We'll see if he's an NBA player. Isaiah Keenan, out of the NBA. Tyson Chandler, likely out of the NBA. Jamal Crawford, likely out of the NBA. Josh Jackson, remains to be seen. Another player. I think he'll stay in the NBA for a few years, just off potential alone. Troy Daniels, Rashawn Holmes, and TJ Warren are the three NBA players in that group. Interesting moves for um, James Jones so far. How do you think of it as, as a whole? How do you think of all these moves? As a whole, uh, the Suns got better. I wish we'd address defense more. I haven't gotten over draft night completely. I can't say that I'm thrilled with Cam Johnson or Ty Jerome yet. Here's something that's unfair of me to think, but I think I have to bring up because we didn't bring it up earlier in the Rubio discussion. There were rumors, and I don't remember who it was from, but there were rumors that Phoenix was going after Terry Rozier as plan A. And Charlotte saved us from ourselves. 
these were rumors that, you know, someone was tweeting out someone with a verified check mark. Now, I know that doesn't always mean uh, anything, and I should probably go look up exactly who that was. But basically, Charlotte offered three years, 58 million. We lost out on Rogier and then possibly went out, uh, went after Rubio as plan B. I don't know if that's true. If yeah. it is true, my opinion on uh, James Jones is that I have no confidence in James Jones. And we got lucky. Right. Because there's one team yeah. in the NBA stupider than us, and that's Charlotte. If it's not true, <laughs> and there's an equally likely possibility that it's not true, uh, then I think James Jones honestly did pretty well this offseason so far. Uh, but these are just the types of things that as fans we have no access to. We just don't know the true story. So it's kind of like, yeah. you know, I'm someone who some might say I already have a developed negative bias against James Jones. So maybe I'm more inclined to believe that we did make Terry Rozier plan A uh, just with my cynicism. Right. But I really don't know. Right. Well, see, my problem is with that is uh, so many rumors come out in free agency and so many of them are from agents just to get leverage on the actual contract amounts that are given out. So I think if you're an agent and you're trying to drive up the value for Terry Rozier, then you look at every team without a point guard and you say these teams are interested. Get it out there to the closest reporter that you have to you. And then you use that as leverage against whatever team that you're negotiating a contract for. So it's not to say that that rumor is not true, but it's also not to say that it is either. I think that... This time of year, right before free agency, is where the most smoke screens go out there. It's where the most BS is filtered through reporters with verified check marks on Twitter. So it's hard to know if that's true or not. And, you know, I choose to not necessarily paint my view on what may have happened. I, I try to focus on what did happen more than anything else, similar to the previous trade with Kelly Oubre, where Kelly Oubre did end up on the Suns. Yes, there was a lot of interesting reporting on whether or not that was supposed to happen, but it did happen, and that's the most important thing going forward, and Kelly Oubre ended up on the Suns. Actually, I'm glad you mentioned that. I think that one's a little more important, because what I was talking about here, we don't know if it's true. We're pretty damn sure that <laughs> the whole Brooks situation, I mean, <laughs> right. come on, that was incompetence yeah, on was... the part of the Suns' new front office, you know, maybe credit right. to inexperience on the part of Jones, but that matters, Mike, that the Kelly Oubre thing was still bad. Yes, it is bad, but you can't, it's, you can't grade, to me, you just can't grade GMs on things that don't happen. It's just, to me, that just doesn't matter. It's on the long run, that doesn't matter. What does happen, what, what the final result is, is the only thing that matters. If you're, if you're an owner, then you do look at that kind of thing and you factor that into your decision as whether or not you want to keep a guy like that. But to me, it, when you're looking at the team and in the in the long run, the only thing that matters is the players that end up on the team. And I think overall, I think the reason the Suns are going to be so improved next year, and that's my prediction so far. Of course, there's a lot more to happen throughout the season, Kelly Oubre uh, notwithstanding. But one of the main reasons that the Suns, I think, are going to be a much improved team next year is that it, it, you're essentially taking these sub-NBA players, these guys who either are yes. not in the league right now, may not be in the league later, and you're replacing them with players that can play right now. Ricky Rubio is in his prime. Aaron Baines is in his late prime. Dario Saric is entering his prime. You know, Frank Kaminsky is a young player coming off the bench as a Dragon Bender replacement and could be a good player in that backup role. Uh, Kelly Oubre Jr. is just entering his prime. If you surround the players that we already enjoy, like we talked about, with players that are actually entering their prime or still in their prime or just exiting it, like potentially Aaron Baines, that's a good position to be in. You're replacing minutes of Dragon Bender, Isaiah Kanan, Tyson Chandler, not even trying, Jamal Crawford at the end of his career, Josh Jackson, a terrible player, 
with players that are actual NBA players that have playoff experience that know what it's like to be on a team that wins. And I think this that's going to make such a massive difference. I don't know what it was with Ryan McDonough. And just, he, he had so much faith that he could turn players who were not good NBA players, that were raw, raw NBA players into good NBA players with Archie Goodwin, with Marquise Chris, with Dragon Bender, with Josh Jackson. I mean, there's so many examples of him overvaluing the importance or undervaluing I should say the importance of, of a development in the NBA and just taking players with this like confidence that they're going to be good NBA players because somehow the Suns can develop him <laughs> I think James Jones is not doing that no he's not at all I've got three things to say because you brought up a lot of stuff there one <laughs> sorry um yeah Ryan Mc, Ryan McDonough sucked but you fell for it every time don't pretend you didn't <laughs> I didn't because I, I was never a fan Come on. I'm not talking about McDonough. I'm talking about when the Suns drafted Bender and Chris, were you excited or no? No. No. <laughs> don't do this. Here, no, this is this is me. I don't get excited about the draft in general. I just don't. I, okay. I, you can go back through my well, Reddit history and you can if, look at it. If that's really true, and, and I may have to check your Reddit history now, go back through <laughs> hundreds of pages of comments. Um, I did. To your point. Cam Johnson and Ty Jerome alone have, I think, as much combined experience as Ryan McDonough's last several years of draft picks because he always drafted freshmen. If you exclude Mikhail Bridges, Mikhail Bridges being his last pick was actually an older player. But yeah, so so that's definitely true. And to your other point uh, about all of the players the Suns are subtracting, uh, to bring up basketball index for the second time today, they do win projections, rolling win projections of how teams will perform based on the signings they do throughout the offseason. And so far, these are pretty noisy because all of the rosters are still, there's still so many open roster spots uh, that you you know have to take these projections with a grain of salt. But there's good news and bad news. The Suns are projected for 32 and a half wins based on the advanced statistics last year uh, and the projected advanced statistics in the upcoming year of guys who are currently on their roster. That includes Ricky Rubio. It includes Frank Kaminsky and all the other guys they've added. The bad news, 32 and a half wins puts them 15th in the Western Conference. Kelly Oubre is included in that too? Uh, that's a great question. I actually don't know if Oubre is included. Um, I'll try to find that out That'll for make you. a difference. Try to find that That'll out for you because that, that does make a difference. But it speaks to your point. That, you know, some people say it's typically hard for teams to add 13 or 14 wins in a single season. So is early 30 wins really a reasonable projection for the Suns next year? But it is when the biggest acquisition for the Suns next year will be the loss of Josh Jackson or the loss of Jamal Crawford. Guys who were so bad last season overall uh, over the course of the entire year that we're not just talking about replacement level players. We're talking about far, far below replacement level players. Right. Uh, that makes the a huge worst difference. players in the NBA. Literally. That's essentially what we're losing. That's, and that's what the point that I think both of us are trying to drive home here. The worst players in the NBA. So it's not just about getting, it, you know, it's not about replacing who's the most average player in the NBA that you can think of. It's not, you know, Harrison Barnes, <laughs> Harrison, Harrison Barnes, TJ Warren, uh, to a certain yeah, extent, CJ Warren, but I'm tr- I was trying to think of like a point guard specifically. You know, it's not like the Suns had Corey Joseph and they replaced him with yes, Ricky perfect. Rubio. The Suns had the worst point guards in the NBA and replaced them with Ricky Rubio. Exactly. That makes more of a difference. Exactly. That's a perfect. That's a perfect way to talk about it. And speaking of replacing a terrible player with a mediocre player, we're gonna switch over to Richie Randall, who talked to us about Frank Kaminsky. So let's switch over to that, and you'll hear a conversation about Frank Kaminsky and what to expect from him. And we'll come back after that. We have a little more to talk about. 
Joining us here on the Timeline Podcast from the BuzzBeat Podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network, Richie Randall. Richie, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to talk about uh, Frank Kaminsky. Well, before we get to that, I have to say, I'm sorry for your loss. <laughs> Kemba Walker. I appreciate it. Boston Celtic. Yeah, it's very sad. I remember when uh, Steve Nash uh, signed with the Lakers. I remember <laughs> when Amari Stoudemire went to the Knicks, and I remember how I felt. It was not fun. Those were some of my favorite players of all time, and to see them go to another team um, was hard, but also to see them go to a large market is so fun fucking frustrating when you're a fan of a smaller market it's just frustrating to see it happen so i'm sorry i'm sure you have a lot of feelings about that and i'm sure you broke it all down in your most recent podcast right i did i did i think there's a lot of emotions flowing through charlotte right now um a lot of people are upset at the the front office um but i think you know the overriding feeling towards kemba is we appreciate everything that he's done uh and we don't blame him one bit for going to boston and going to a better situation uh, than what he had to deal with in Charlotte. You know, he, he gave it his all. Uh, he was a great competitor, uh, and he never complained one bit. Uh, Richie, how are you guys handling the Terry Rozier acquisition thus far? <laughs> I think more people are upset the fact that Kimba's gone, so whoever we brought in, they were just going to be angry about. Um, I think there is definitely a mixed bag of um, kind of evaluation on Rozier. I don't view him as this, you know, amazing basketball player. I think he's pretty average. Uh, I think that 2018 playoffs, you know, that that kind of rose his ability up a little bit, you know, scary Terry. But I don't know. I, I, I would have I would have preferred for the Hornets to take a slower route, uh, let these contracts fall off next year, basically use next year as a lost season and just kind of work our way slowly back up. I, I do think that we overpaid for him. I guess now we have more of a watchability factor with Rozier, but um yeah, it's definitely a mixed bag here in Charlotte. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting season for you guys and for the fans of that team. But of course, you're here to talk about Frank Kaminsky. The Suns just signed Frank Kaminsky to a two year, ten million dollar deal, relatively low amount of money going to Frank Kaminsky uh, per year, and he's our backup power forward, basically a drag and bender replacement for the Phoenix Suns. It seems like Charlotte Hornets fans have an interesting relationship with. Frank Kaminsky, uh, before we started recording, you were telling us that other than Kemba Walker, the player that you guys on your podcast probably talked about the most was Frank Kaminsky. Can you describe the Frank Kaminsky experience for Charlotte Hornets fans? Yeah, and no joke. Like if you were to listen back to all of our episodes, he is his the name. He is the name that comes up probably the most outside of Kemba Walker. I think it's because he evokes the most frustration among fans because he was drafted ninth overall because of the supposed draft picks that were offered to Charlotte that we turned down uh, from Boston. You know, Michael Jordan was hell-bent on selecting this guy, so he better turn out to be a good prospect. And, you know, he's turned out to be an okay player on the NBA level. He's just been extremely frustrating, having a lot of ups and downs, and I'm sure we'll get to this in a bit, but he is an extremely streaky shooter. (laughs) Like, he'll have a month where he's shooting 40% from behind the arc, and then the following month, He's shooting, you know, 28% from behind the arc. So that's where a lot of the frustration lies. He was, you know, supposed to come in here as a stretch big, but he didn't stretch the floor consistently enough. And that's where a lot of the frustration is with Frank Kaminsky. So I think the most alluring thing about Frank, and you really just kind of mentioned it there with the streakiness, but at the very tail end of the season, I'm just going to read you some stats that I'm sure you already know, Richie. Uh, but he closed, <laughs> he closed the season really strong um, in the last 21 games in March and April. 
about 22 minutes per game. He averaged close to 13 points at five rebounds on 37% shooting from deep. Uh, you guys went 11 and 10 in that stretch. Buy or sell on, you know, that. Will Frank ever be able to maybe consistently produce at even that level over a full NBA season? Or was what we saw at the tail end of the season for you guys just a complete fluke? Uh, and, you know, nothing for Suns fans to even potentially get excited about. No, I think you can get excited about it. I, I think these are the streaks that as Hornets fans you see. Like I said, he will go 20 games like that where he has these high streaks of shooting great behind the arc. And then the next month he, he dips. I, I will say that that last 15, 20 games of the season, probably between Kemba, Lamb and Kaminsky, those were the three best players on the Hornets. It was just such an odd situation for commencing the season because he did not really play at all uh, the first, I would say, you know, consistently until probably February and March. And once when he started playing, he started to pick up his pace a little bit and he was consistent. So there is something to get excited about with Frank Kaminsky. If he can prove to be that type of player at the tail end of the season for the Hornets, uh, you're going to get a serviceable backup that can stretch the court um, out of the five position or the four position, depending on how you view this guy as a, you know, as a basketball player in the court. I typically think that he's probably better suited for a stretch five. Uh, but I guess, you know, with the NBA today, they're kind of interchangeable. You know, I probably quote Jalen Rose on every podcast where he says, happiness is a function of expectations. It's all about what you expect. That dictates how happy you are about something. And you talked about it a lot with Frank Kaminsky. He was drafted in the top 10, which is hilarious now. And trust me, we are not without our blunders on the Suns. We, we drafted Dragon Bender fourth overall, and we drafted Marquise Chris higher than Frank Kaminsky was Alex drafted. Alex Len, too. Alex Len was fourth. I mean, these guys might not. I mean, Alex Len will be an NBA player. The other two might, might not even be NBA players relatively soon, whereas Frank Kaminsky is now on a two-year deal. How much of the way that Hornets fans feel about Frank's, Frank Kaminsky Kaminsky is based on just the fact that he was drafted where he was and the fact that they likely turned down four or five or however many picks it was um, for him. No, it's, it's a great point. I think that's because he was selected ninth overall, because a lot of people were actually clamoring for Justice Winslow or, or Devin Booker <laughs> or Miles Turner at that at that selection. And we still <laughs> went the route of Kaminsky. Yeah, the expectations are clearly going to be higher. That's going to be the case for any player. So yeah, the Hornets have had a ton of draft blunders, and that's why we are, you know, the way that we are in this league. We're not consistently producing enough, and, and, and the drafting is the biggest issue. But uh, yeah, I guess if you temper your expectations a little bit with Frank Kaminsky, uh, he'll turn out to be, I guess, a solid player in your mind. And there's a lot of things that he does well on the court that you can get excited about. Uh, I think he's a very good passer for a big. 12.1 assist percentage, which I think is pretty pretty good for a big. Um, he has some nice mm-hmm. wiggle off the bounce. He somehow manages. He like he's not athletic by any means, but he somehow manages his way from the top of the key down to the uh, to the basket by just like shimming, spins, backing his way in, and he gets you know he, he, that in between game that floater game is is pretty good of his. So there's definitely things to get excited about with Frank Kaminsky, but yeah, being selected ninth overall. And this is what you're out. You know, this is the output that you get. Uh, it's going to cause a lot of frustration. Now, him coming into Phoenix because we just acquired Aaron Baines. Uh, it's very likely that the Suns view him as a four. What I've seen from Hornets huh. fans online is some debate 
about whether Kaminsky is actually suited to be a backup power forward full time or if he's better as a center. Do you have an opinion on that? I I slightly lean towards center. Um, but again, like I said, because the NBA is so interchangeable uh, with some of their positions, especially between the four and the five and, and the two and the three, I don't really think it matters all that much. I guess it more depends on who he is guarding. I think most people would argue, well, first off, he's not a good defender. So that's, <laughs> that's a big glaring negative right away. Like teams hunt him. Like they, he comes on the court, they're going to run a couple plays at Kaminsky and the other team is probably going to get a couple easy back baskets. Um, so he, he lacks the mobility to guard fours, but he also lacks the strength to guard five. So on the defensive end, I guess it really doesn't matter because there's going to be some holes. Uh, I guess if you put him at the four, at least there's some back end help. Uh, but offensively to me, best place that he's suited is that that stretch five and I think uh, him and Kimba paired very well together and I think you know Devin Booker who runs runs a lot of pick and rolls you know if he ever you know miss miss mix matches some lineups him and Booker can work well together out of that pick and pop now I've heard a rumor that your co-host Spencer is not a Kaminsky fan is that true (laughs) that is that's very true uh well (laughs) More, more so than me. Like he, he just seems to to bash him a little bit more than I do. And I gave him a lot more credit this year. Like this was his best season coming off uh, right now. And I actually wanted to bring him back, but I think with all the constraints, with the money and everything like that, it made sense for the Hornets not to, you know, extend that qualifying offer. But yeah, he he bashes him way off, and that's why he gets brought up so much on our podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that makes sense. And it seems like from your perspective. This role is the right role for him and likely the right amount of money. I mean, it's hard to say he's going to be overpaid. He's not making very much money at all. And it seems like based on his production and what he's done in the past, this backup big role is the right role for him going forward, right? Exactly. I think that's the role that I would have expected if we brought him back. The money that you guys are paying him about, what, $5 million per year? Uh, that mm-hmm. seems very reasonable. Um Yeah, I, I think that's, that's the role moving forward. A backup big, and that's exactly what he would have been on our team, uh, well, considering the fact that Cody Zeller gets injured so often, he did probably have to be plugged into the starting role every so often. But uh, out of a backup big, I, I think he's he does fine. Yeah, before we let you go, Richie, uh, what are the Hornets looking to do in the next couple weeks? How are they going to fill out their roster, if at all? Well, I, I, they still have that that MLE available, which is $9.2 million. Uh, but I do think that they have, I think, when I say 13 to 14 roster players, they probably need to get a center or another point guard, because as of now, the only point guards that we have on our team, uh, Devontae Graham and T- Terry Rozier. So uh, they, they might look to add one or two more players. Richie, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a great conversation to talk about Frank Kaminsky. I'll be honest, I haven't fully followed Frank Kaminsky, so it's <laughs> nice to have a guy that really followed probably every game of his career, his short career so far. So thank you for joining us, Richie. You're welcome. Enjoy Kaminsky. Don't get too frustrated with him now. <laughs> I'll do my best. Big thanks to Richie Randall for joining us. Make sure if you want to check out his BuzzBeat podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Something that we talked about there is how Frank Kaminsky is a replacement for Dragon Bender. And basically what we've discovered through this free agency is three players are now gone for sure from the Phoenix Suns. Uh, Josh Jackson notwithstanding, but the three players we know for sure. Let's talk about two of them first. Let's talk about Dragon Bender and Troy Daniels. Goodbye, Dragon Bender. Maybe one of the worst picks in the Phoenix Suns history, <laughs> potentially. Yeah. 
I feel really bad because I like Dragon Bender as a person. He seems to be a fun guy. He seems to like to party, which I think is cool for a guy at his age making millions of dollars. But he just didn't work out. He always looked like a baby deer learning how to walk out there, essentially. And that's just his. That'll be his legacy for the Phoenix Suns, right? Yeah, I, I'm giving one word responses because that's what Dragon Bender deserves. <laughs> All right, let's switch over to Troy Daniels because Troy yes. Daniels signed with yeah Troy Daniels, a player that we liked, a player that we <laughs> really rallied for because we wanted Igor Kokoshkov to play him more on the team with the worst shooting in the NBA. Troy Daniels literally had DNPs in like 30 games last year, which makes no sense. And uh, now he's playing for a playoff team, something we talked about. The value of Troy Daniels on the Suns was low, but the value of Troy Daniels on a minimum deal, which is likely what he's going to get for the Lakers, which is where he's playing, is completely different because they have guys that are going to suck in the defense and he's going to be wide open and hitting three after three after three. And there's going to be scenarios where we're going to see Troy Daniels winning games for the Los Angeles Lakers next year just by the nature of being wide open and hitting threes essentially, right? Oh, yeah. Troy Daniels, uh, T-Rex arms and lack of defense aside, is going to be bombing away from three with LeBron James on his on his roster and Anthony Davis sucking in. Just like you said, he could shoot 50% from deep next year. He could be like the Lakers' Joe Harris. I think he's going to have a, yeah. a hell of a season. Um, and that doesn't make him a great player. It doesn't necessarily mean the Suns should have brought him back. But he's definitely a guy who knew his role for Phoenix, who never complained despite the circumstances over the past couple of years. Uh, and he's a guy that, you know, even if he's wearing purple and gold, I can definitely continue to root for Troy Daniels. Absolutely. I will too. I think he's a, like you said, he's a good guy. He had some quotes at the end of the year that really kind of finally showed a little bit of his frustration. He worked really hard. He worked really hard in the off season. He worked really hard during the season, working on his ball handling, making sure he can get that shot off as quick as possible. And it showed he, he did improve his ball handling, not something that he's going to have to do any of on the Lakers really uh, just hit those wide open shots. It's really a perfect situation for him. And, uh, you know, he'll be one of the only reasons I have for watching the Lakers next year because I'm rooting for him as a, as a player and as a person. He seems like a good guy. This last one hurts a little bit more. And that's Rashawn Holmes. We have to say goodbye to maybe my favorite player to watch on the Phoenix Suns for one of the worst seasons they've ever had. <laughs> and that's Rashawn Holmes. This guy brought it every single night, never quit constantly brought up the energy of every other Suns player on the floor and he did all that on a 19 win team and he ingratiated himself to the fans immediately his mom came on our podcast hell and yeah she treated all Suns fans so well it, it, it's just the Rashawn Holmes experience for the Phoenix Suns was an excellent experience and now he's going on to the Sacramento Kings and likely going to be a Willie Cauley Stein replacement uh, there and I think he's going to do an excellent job running up and down the floor with De'Aaron Fox. Yeah, De'Aaron Fox in transition with Rashawn Holmes is a perfect fit. Uh, I didn't even really think about that, but this definitely hurts. The Suns just keep killing my favorite hustle players. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who will be the main hustle guy for the Suns this coming? I guess it's Mikael Bridges now. It's got to be Mikhail Bridges. No way anyone is wrestling the uh, Dan Marley Hustle Award out of Mikhail Bridges' hands. Like, who else would it yep. be? I, I, I don't know. Rubio. Who else I plays guess it defense? Could be Rubio. I guess yeah. it could be Rubio. <laughs> Rubio. I don't think it's. It's really. Or yeah. Melton, if Melton's <laughs> on the roster, like he has a chance. Baines. But... It could be Baines. 
Baines plays defense, but I don't think to that level. I don't think he's not on the Holmes level. I liked Baines. I broke down Baines in a recent video on our YouTube channel. Um, and he provides some things that Holmes didn't. But on the whole, when it comes to hustle, I don't think he's on the same level. All right, let's end this podcast with my new favorite segment that we have, and that is Cold Take of the Week. The cheese is cold. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, the Cold Take of the Week is a segment that Sam and I created to call out people for saying dumb things on the internet, either about the Phoenix Suns or the NBA in general. Uh, Sam, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Sure, I'll go first. All right. All right. little rift in, in Suns Twitter right now. Let's, uh, well, for, first thing I want to say is that there were some easy choices for Cold Take of the Week. Uh, I actually decided <laughs> to go with not the easiest bait out there, so... If you're expecting us to talk about a certain someone who who had quite the week on Sun's Twitter, we're not talking about that person. <laughs> However, uh, she they do suck. Um, <laughs> accidentally revealed there because you know there there may only be. Anyway, it doesn't matter. My cold take of the week goes to at icy book two emojis on Twitter said. <laughs> Just a, a, a straight-up comparison. They said, jazz lineup that made the fifth seed. Rubio, Mitchell, Ingles, Favors, Gobert. Suns lineup this season. Rubio. Booker over Mitchell. Bridges over Ingles. Ubre over Favors. <laughs> Aiton over Gobert. And then that emoji a few times where you're like thinking with your hand on your chin. <laughs> I don't know if this is a joke or not, but if it on, on the chance you really riled up Jazz Twitter with this one, which I applaud you for that. Which is that's my a, favorite. Yes. If you were just trolling Jazz it. Twitter, then honestly, you know, good move, man. Like this, this was yes. great. It, if you seriously think this, though, we have a few problems here. Booker is better than Mitchell. I'm going to give you that. Aiden is not already better than a defensive player of the year. <laughs> Why is Gobert, he's like shit on more than any other player at his level. He's so good. He's so good. Well, dude, and I was going to say. One of the best defensive players in the league. I was going to say Joe Ingles is super underrated too. Like you hope that Mikhail Bridges becomes Joe Ingles one day. He's not Joe Ingles right now. Oubre isn't even a power forward. Yeah. So, I remember remember one pick and roll that Mikhail Bridges ran the entire year. And it was a good one. (laughs) It was yeah. a good one, but Ingles runs them all the time. He's one of the most important players, playmakers on that team, and Mikael Bridges is just not there yet. And Ingles is actually a good defender, so I, I hate that I'm defending the Jazz right now. What is happening? I know I can't, and I'm sorry to make you do that. It's just we have to. <laughs> you know what it is? You can defend the Jazz and hate Donovan Mitchell in the same breath, and it's okay because the annoying <laughs> thing about that Jazz team that made the fifth seed was that all the credit was heaped onto Donovan Mitchell, and he was seen as the next big thing without people selectively ignoring the fact that Rudy Gobert was arguably the best player on that team, that Joe Ingles and Ricky Rubio and Derek Favors actually too, perfect role players all around. Donovan Mitchell was given a perfect situation that Devin Booker was not given at Phoenix. Let's just say that. And so overall, Mm -hmm. the point here is the Suns got better. Uh, Don't expect 50 wins, guys. Just don't do that to yourselves. That's ridiculous. (laughs) And also, uh, just just for the record, Rudy Rudy Gobert was definitely the best player on that team. I think that's definitive. And I think anyone who doesn't think that just doesn't watch them, I think. He's very, he's vital. He's vital to that team. The most important player on their defense. And he's he's relatively good at sucking in the defense or on offense because he's he's a threat to to finish. Um, So shout out to him. So I'll, I'll go to mine now. This is at 
Pro Football Talk. That's right. I'm calling out a football account. And many of you called out this account, including me, on Twitter. And I think it's important to call it out now after free agency has ended because what they said is, I thought the NFL did a bad job of maximizing interest in free agency until I realized that the NBA starts free agency at 6 p.m. Eastern on the Sunday of 4th of July week. What? The the Sunday... (laughs) of 4th of July week. 4th of July is on Thursday. How free agency was on Sunday. Free agency five <laughs> months before Thanksgiving. Some of us are on vacation. Who starts celebrating the week before, essentially five days before the 4th of July? Is that when the party begins? Does everyone take a week off of work for 4th of July? And also... Free agency basically all happened in a three, four hour period. It's not like we all had to sit down and watch all of free agency play out for three days in a row. It's It just took a few hours. The idea that the NBA is somehow worse than the NFL at marketing is completely insane. The NFL has so many problems, so, so many problems where the NBA does not. The NBA does the best job of selling their product. They do the best job of creating stars out of these guys. And one of the main ways that they do that is embracing the idea of players moving teams. That's not something that was embraced in the past. Now they celebrate it, they promote it, they create content out of it. And they do such a good job of free agency. And the idea that tweet came out the morning of June 30th, by the afternoon of June 30th, all hell broke loose. It was completely insane and a blast. Really, one of the most fun days I've had on the internet. Just all the insane things that were happening back to back to back and all the people talking about it. It was a complete blast. I had so much fun. And Pro Football Talk got it completely wrong. Pro Football Talk, you're my cold take of the week. What a disaster take that was. How could you not have fun, you know, laughing at the Knicks? <laughs> like, free agency was a blast. It was perfect. <laughs> It was so fun. Maybe not perfect it for was the so Stones, fun. but it was just, yeah, there's just this camaraderie of everyone being on the internet at the same time for those few hours. So much fun. Yes, it was a blast. And yeah, I think that's a disaster. If you want to build up the name of the NFL, don't tech, attack the NBA at one of the things they're the best at, because that's essentially what they did. And shout out to everyone who called them out with me, because that was a disaster take. Um, anything else you want to bring up before we end this podcast, Sam? No, I think that's about it. Let's uh, hope for Uber news tomorrow morning. First thing. That's right. I'm sure it'll happen as soon as I stop recording this podcast. Um, Shout out to all the NBA reporters that made my day for the last uh, NBA free agency. Woj, excellent job. Woj was incredible. Sham, incredible. Mark Stein, on the rise. Chris Haynes, excellent job by Chris Haynes. Really had an in on uh, Kevin Durant. And uh, I think everyone did an excellent job making this a very exciting event. And I'm glad the Suns didn't come out empty-handed, even if it wasn't the absolute perfect, perfect fit. Anything else? Uh, no, I mean, I'll just echo your sentiments. Okay. Credit to those guys because they... Oh, wait, are we still recording or no? I don't even know. No, we can't. <laughs> no, I was going to say Fuck thank it, you leave, for everyone leave, for listening. Leave, this, leave, leave it in. <laughs> I don't even know. I've been fucking up so much over the past couple of weeks. Sorry, guys. I'm kind of tired. Um, <laughs> where where oh, was yeah, I? Sam, we haven't even talked. You know what? If they're, already, if they're still listening, let's talk about this now. You moved to a new place. We haven't talked about any uh, personal stuff. You spent the last few days moving upstate, and uh, now you're in a new place. How did that go? Yeah, it went fine. Um, I'm currently on the floor. 
uh, of <laughs> my new apartment. At least I have internet. That's <laughs> if you, if you guys really want to know the secret of why we couldn't record last night, it was because I didn't have internet at my new apartment here in Rochester, New York. Um, but uh, yeah, we're recording now on the floor. It's been a great hour. My leg is starting to cramp. What I wanted to say is that <laughs> those reporters that you were mentioning, those guys don't get to celebrate the 4th of July. Their lives have to be ridiculous this time of year uh, in terms of the work-life balance. And I'm sure their families really hate all of us on NBA Twitter for keeping them glued to their phones. So props yeah. to those guys. It's a hard industry and it's uh, it's not an easy job that they have. Yep, that's right. And Gambo too. Gambo had a good weekend, I would say. <laughs> he was right. <laughs> he was right more than he was wrong. So anyway, thank you everyone for listening. This has been a really fun episode. I uh, can't wait to cover on the next episode how Kelly Oubre signed a $10 million deal with the Phoenix Suns. <laughs> and that's going to be an excellent thing to talk about. Uh, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. Rate us on iTunes, Apple, Google, whatever you want to do. And uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Twitter. All those things. Thanks everyone for listening. Oh, we love it. I love Phoenix. First of all, um, the weather in Phoenix is absolutely wonderful. Yes, it is. <laughs> you know, when we first went there, uh, it was just so nice. We didn't wear a coat. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some people had on sweaters and little jackets, and they were asking us, were we cold? I said, no, this is great. You know, I'm from <laughs> Chicago, so uh, at that time, the weather was just great to me in Phoenix. It was just great. So we love that. And then the fans have embraced uh, my entire family. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just love the fans in Phoenix. Absolutely love them. I think they are one of the greatest uh, group of people, bunch of people that's just that's just phenomenal. <laughs> so, and I'm not saying that because Rashawn is on the team. But, you know, when you don't know anybody or, or you haven't been familiar with certain settings, then, you know, you just don't know. But when you get involved and you get to see uh, people and how they interact and how they embrace you, it's just wonderful. I, I just think the fans are just great. And thank you, thank you guys so much for embracing us. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.